0: The truth needs to come out. Every single interview has been just rehearsal to get this one right. This is my dear friend, Laura Vincent. She is a consultant at Oxford University Hospital. She's faculty at Oxstar, the simulation center there, it does fantastic work. She's education, she's sim lead in Oxford. She's a friend, she's pretty fantastic. She's the best mom in the world. She's, I don't know, I could go on, but I, I better not. Uh, especially because she's putting fingers down her throat while I'm saying this. Laura, you can talk about anything you want. The topic you've picked is brilliant. A good day, take it away. What does it look like? Why does it matter?
1: Thanks, Pete. Um, so yeah, so I guess um, as a consultant, over the years I've, I've realized that one of the things that's really important to me is that everyone comes to work um, and does a good job, feels like they've done a good job uh, and wants to come back the next day and do it all again. And I guess I've had some feedback and some insight over the last few years of how I I can probably influence that um, and also um, what it means for the unit when that happens.
0: So let's let's try and do this with and without buzzwords because they matter as headings, (laughs) uh, but they can become a bit overused and worn out. Engagement. What does it look like? What does it mean?
1: Yes, I mean, this is really pertinent to us at the moment because we have moved into a new intensive care building in Oxford, um, which was all supposed to be shiny, pretty things and have a massive impact on the unit. Um, but actually, it's brought some challenges. Uh, we obviously had a big exodus of staff um, post the pandemic. We've had a, a huge new influx of staff and we're working in a new layout. And there's been a recognition that, we really need to try and work on staff engagement. And I think, for me, that goes hand-in-hand with staff well-being um, and everyone having a good day at work. So it kind of makes sense, um, but also we know that engaged staff will give better patient experience. There's good evidence for that. They'll perform better from a patient safety point of view because they'll be more accountable. And basically, they'll also... um, I'm hoping that, you know staff who uh, are engaged uh, and enjoy their work will want to stay working with us which is really important from a kind of workforce crisis point of view
0: i would never want to put words into your mouth but as a fellow sim enthusiast i've always felt that people start out at the individual level then the team level then the unit level we all end up talking about unit culture at some point and it's incredible importance but equally the sort of ephemeral nature of it and how do you capture it You've got an all-singing, all-dancing new ICU. That's lovely, but it's the people at it, the end of the day. It is, 100%. And, and, and I've worked in some shoddy ICUs with great staff. I've worked in some shiny ICUs with bad staff. I, I think I'll take the great staff over the shiny unit every single time. What What sort of role in this do consultants play? Are we cheerleaders? Are we flag wavers? Do we set the mood? Is there an emotional contagion? Again, staying away from buzzwords, sorry. Yeah. Help me understand our role.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all there, isn't it? I, I think, you know, ultimately as the leader of the clinical care we are the leader of the culture as well and i think that's what i've realized we can influence so much and you know at a basic level it's about role modeling and kindness and civility and encouraging all those behaviors that you want to see and making sure that you're embodying them yourself and i think that you know the idea of compassionate leadership really comes in here and hopefully that's something i really will work towards um so it's it's you know It's about setting the tone and having the opportunity to brief at the start of the day and set expectations for people, because then they they, they know what they're working towards and they know the goals and the objectives. Um, uh, And, you know, encouraging and nurturing um, and making people feel like you actually care about them as part of the team as well. Um, And I think that breeds that camaraderie.
0: I actually read a brilliant quote on that the other day, Um, and it was, Train people well enough that they would be able to leave, but treat them well enough that they won't. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty. Uh, uh, it on point. is,
1: and and I think that really it speaks to that idea of you know the sense of belonging um, and the sense that the unit values you. Um, and I think there's a huge amount that we can do to to enhance that so you know listening to Wes Ely speaking yesterday in the delirium talk um, just reminded me about how it's so important to empower staff and make them feel that they have some ownership in the good outcome for that patient and part of that is about educating them as to why you're saying what you want them to do and that you want them to be kind of complicit in that in, in that outcome and in and, and in what happens to patients Um, and it's about it's about listening and it's about asking so you know one of the things i try and do on the ward round to 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 get the quieter nurses to speak and to feel involved is to is to start with them and to say, look, you come over here. I want to hear from you. What are your concerns? What do you want us to start with today? Um, and get them to use their voice because if they use their voice, they're much more likely to speak up later when they're worried about something or when they're unclear. And you know, this is when then hopefully mistakes won't happen that might have done otherwise. Um, but you know, you mentioned the team training as well. Um, and I think for me for simulation yes there's the educational goals yes there's the human factors goals but actually part of it again is about the staff knowing that I'm taking my time to invest in them and to talk to them and to to you know to attend to them and I think that is probably the biggest you know hidden curriculum from the sim training and just a sense of well-being that they
0: get from participating from that. I'm glad we got the line hidden curriculum in because it's, it's real no, no it is genuine <laughs> I like buzzwords <laughs> well but it, and it and it lives in the same cupboard as feeling safe uh yeah. we we talk about patient safety all the time yeah when we talk about practitioner safety it usually means tie the patient down so that they don't hit you when they're delirious but but there's more to practitioner safety right there's a sense that you can share your ideas people will listen to you it's not just the noisy people like yours truly that get all the bandwidth. Yeah, Stop smiling.
1: N- no, ab- absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, we're talking about psychological safety here. And I've, I've thought about this a lot, um, both from a simulation point of view and making people feel safe to learn in a sim environment, but also on the unit as part of the culture. Um, and, you, you know, you've got your four levels that you want to aspire to with your team. So feeling included, feeling safe to learn, safe to contribute and safe to challenge. And you really want everyone up there at that fourth level um but again that's about making them feel that you're listening to them and you respect what they think and their involvement and and a lot of the time i spend saying what do you think to my team and also making people understand that it's okay to say you don't know i say i don't know a lot on the ward round and it's basically recognizing we don't have all the answers straight away it's important to keep questioning rather than to just get to that box of comfort and um and you know, and ignore any further information. So, yeah, psychological safety is, is like embedded in the culture, I think.
0: You've taught me plenty about the idea of a second victim. Why don't you teach everyone about the idea?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, as part of this um, having a good day, nobody comes to work. Uh, to cause harm or for something bad to happen to a patient and so I think you know part of my objective of getting them engaged is to try and reduce the risk of error happening so um, I, I want to try to set up the conditions for people to do well and to perform at their best and so again it's it's making people understand why it's important that things are done, making people feel they can speak up and challenge and, and disagree. Um, and the second victim idea is, is the, uh, the injury to the staff member who goes home that day feeling like they've done a bad job and they've ca- caused harm to someone. So we want to try and avoid that as much as possible.
0: It's a pivot. It may be a dangerous pivot, but help me, in the words of Jerry Maguire, help me to help you. There is a danger on podcasts like this that either Leon and I start mansplaining. There is a danger that we talk to the guys about science and the gals about feelings, and we desperately don't want to. And I, I hope it's clear. We care yeah. deeply about both. Is there any sort of pigeonholing of female intensivists into the softer areas, quote unquote?
1: Yeah, tech? I mean, I, I, um, I think I'd pigeonhole myself based on personality rather than sex, actually. Um, and and I guess you know part of my interest in this area has maybe come from my own imposter syndrome in terms of what am I adding to the unit and where can I add value and I guess you know one of the things my colleagues commented on the other day was me walking in with armfuls of chocolates at the end of a bad day and I think it does make a difference Um, and I guess I'm I naturally feel like somebody who would care about this stuff so yes I'm female yes I've got some imposter syndrome and maybe that makes me better at it I don't know.
0: Well, let's say this loud and proud. We've all got <laughs> imposter syndrome. I definitely have. And and it's interesting through a career, I've had various flavors of it. The full on imposter syndrome at the beginning. So try, try, try. The, the middle period, try and talk over the top of people to hide your imposter syndrome and a strange sort of sanguine, yep, I'm an imposter, but so is everybody else. You don't yeah. have to be perfect at the end where you have to be careful. You don't give up on self-improvement. And yeah. it, it's so maybe it's comforting for people to hear that it's universal, maybe in a way it's comforting to hear that it doesn't go away; it just morphs. So, your thoughts? Uh,
1: absolutely. And I, and I, I some, sometimes I've been surprised at the end of a day where I've felt, oh God, that wardrobe went on forever. Oh, it was so busy. You know, I'm. I have usually spent quite a lot of time thanking people and I've, I've often had then you know some feedback afterwards emails to say i had such a good day i learned so much this is inspiring um which completely blew me away um but kind of again makes me want to come back to work and do it again also i think you know we talked at this start of this conference the opening uh plenary was focused on the workforce crisis and i, I sort of feel it's not just good for me and good for the staff but actually, if we don't work on well-being at work and retention, you know, it's all going to fall apart. So I sort of feel like I have a duty to to, it, to sort it out as well. Yeah,
0: all well, great points. Isn't it incredible, terrifying, poignant that the state of the art, as the conference is called, includes the workforce crisis, and and it wasn't just an x-axis, y-axis. Opening plenary.
1: Yeah, it was brilliant, and I thought they had all the right people sitting there, and the you know the AHPs especially. And I know that in our unit there is you know there have been some feelings of morale amongst the whole work amongst the whole, whole workforce, and we have to face it; it's not going to go away, and it's important as the you know the scientific subject matter, if not more.
0: Uh, Laura, our podcasts have an audience of at least two, possibly three people. <laughs> Most of them are related to it. This is you got a microphone what should people know? What have you always wanted to say? Where should the specialty go from here? What does success look like?
1: Well, I think um, more and more, we are focusing on the patient and not, you know, the organs and the disease processes. Um, And talks like we've had on delirium and talks like we've had on debriefing, I think represent the direction of travel. And I think it's got to be more of the same and the culture will follow and hopefully the workforce.
0: Uh, That's a fantastic point. It worries me as the same person that we've We do debriefs on every critical incident. We still haven't done a COVID debrief. What the heck?
1: It's going to be a decade-long debrief.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Laura, everybody now knows why we like you so much. (laughs) I already knew. Thank you so, so much for your time and a pleasure to see you again.
1: Thanks for having me.